Hello, everybody, and welcome to another action-packed, full episode of the Speaking for Him podcast. I have to say, I love producing this content with you, and as we're getting back to the basics and talking about the fundamentals of our Christian beliefs, I think it's so important. Uh, because as I've said numerous times on this show, we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. So if you want to go back and listen to my series on the five solas, um, I would be grateful if you would go back and also share them with your family and friends. There's a total of six episodes because we reviewed all five, and then we took a look at each of the five individually and so I hope that you will derive benefit from that and that if you do, you will let me know how that has encouraged you. And you can do that in a few ways. First of all, you can contact me directly with the contact info that will roll at the end of the show. And secondly, you can share it with your family and friends. And thirdly, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to podcasts on. It really would help us broaden our scope and reach and allow more people to to benefit from our life-affirming content. And of course, we know that true life comes through Jesus Christ, and so part of that is rightly dividing the word of truth because there's a lot of quote-unquote Christian beliefs that when it gets right down to it, are not really Christian at all. And so the next phase of this Back to Basics series will be about addressing some of those and addressing some of the myths of quote-unquote modern Christianity. And the first myth that we are going to discuss is people are basically good. Now, in the spirit of full disclosure, I want to let you know a couple things. First of all, this the source and the inspiration for this series is a video done by a YouTube channel called 12 Problems with Joel Osteen. Now, I'm not I'm not doing this series and talking about these myths to dog Joel Osteen personally. I believe that he teaches many things that are in error. And I warn people about him freely. I've talked about him by name in my sermons, and I will continue to do so because I do believe that he is a false teacher. That being said, I'm not doing this series to be against Joel Osteen. I am simply doing this series to address the myths themselves. The first myth that we are going to address is that people are basically good. It's a common misconception that people have, and so we're going to dig into, does the Bible really say that people are basically good? So you'll want to stay tuned for that, but first I want to talk to you about what is going on. I hope that you are having a wonderful week. It's just going to be a couple short weeks now before I will be heading back to school. Lord willing, for my sixth year at the Potter's House Christian School, I'm very excited and apprehensive for the changes that are to come. And I just ask that you would pray for me that I would uh, perform 
um, my duties in a godly way and that I would continue to be an example of Christ to the students. As you most likely know, the last two weeks we've had uh, the Olympics and I've just really been excited to watch some of the highlights. And I know there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the Olympics. Um, Some people are saying don't watch it because it's another excuse for the media to go all woke and talk about how bad America is and how we need to do better. But I have to say I've been inspired by some of the stories coming out of the Olympics. I shared uh, a couple weeks ago about Sydney McLaughlin and her winning the 400 meter hurdles in the Olympic trials and setting an Olympic record. And that was just a few weeks ago. And within the last week or so, she has once again broken her record and won the gold at the Olympics. And the cool thing about Sydney is she got saved um, in October of last year, I believe. And shortly thereafter was baptized. And she is all about sharing God with the platform she's been given. And if you go to her Twitter, it simply says saved by grace. And she actually has a video on Instagram of her baptism, which is like totally awesome. And I'm just very excited for her to have the platform that she has because she's using it well. Well, I want to tell you about another athlete. This athlete's name is Tamara Mensch. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And she won a gold medal for the USA in women's wrestling. She is only the second woman to do that. Um, But more importantly, her excitement and just her overall attitude after winning the gold was so infectious that I wanted to share this clip with you here today. Hi, Tamara. Hi, Congratulations. Thank you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very happy, and I keep trying not to cry, but it keeps happening. And I just want to go into a dark room and just cry. Uh, I'm going to cry from joy. I was going to say tears of joy. Let me ask you this. You started wrestling in the 10th grade. You are now an Olympic gold medalist. Describe the ride. Uh, why? Because I knew I could do it when I first started wrestling. I felt that I could be an Olympic champ. So I kept going. I did it. Tamara, I know you lost your father in high school. How do you think he would be responding right now? Seeing you on top of the podium here coming up. <laughs> he would have been the loudest one here. He would be so proud. He would be so happy. <laughs> He's from Ghana too. He don't say this out loud, but like he he like he was like enemies in Nigeria. So <laughs> it's kind of like poetic that I had to wrestle Nigeria in the finals. He's from Ghana, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> for women, wrestling has only been an Olympic sport for all, not even two decades. You are the second American yeah! woman to win gold. What does this mean 
for the popularity of the sport and for all the young girls out there that are going to see you and feel inspiration? It means that they see someone like themselves on that podium, someone like Helen on that podium, showing them just because you're a female, it doesn't mean you can't accomplish the biggest of goals. And being an Olympic champ is one of the hardest things I have ever done in my entire life and I can say it's well worth it and I can't wait to be at home with my husband and my dogs celebrating with them. Tamara, can you tell me, I, mean, I know your family always comes out there for Olympic trials for all of your matches. Yes. To not have your husband and your family members here today, how difficult was that? It was extremely difficult, but right now, my mom, my aunt, my twin sister, my little sister, my grandma, they and my little cousins, they are all in Florida right now watching at 6 a.m., <laughs> cheering me on. My husband woke up really early to watch me, so it means the world knowing that they are watching, and that's all the support I needed. I have a very important question for you. Yeah. The karaoke machine tonight, what song are you going to do? Um, probably Carrie Underwood, Champion, with Ludacris in it. Maya Nelson showed me that song in uh, 2019 World Championships, and I can't get it out of my head because I am a champion. I was born for this. I was made to win. I love it. In your wildest, in your wildest imagination, <laughs> did you think you would ever win an Olympic gold medal? Yes. 100% yes. I knew I could do it. I knew it would be hard. I prayed that I could do it in my wildest of dreams. I knew. It is not just that you won. You were dominant. I mean, you won these matches convincingly. <laughs> Did you surprise yourself at all? I, of course I surprised myself. It's by the grace of God I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does, and I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And I'm, I'm excited to see what what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Well, well said. Congratulations. Enjoy that gold, and we'll see you out there on the podium, okay? Thank you. I'll try not to cry, but no problem. <laughs> It's hard to listen to that clip and not get emotional um, because the just the sheer excitement that she has and the joy that she exudes, if you watch the clip, you'll see exactly what I mean. The smile does not leave her face. Um, she talked about praying and trusting God through this process, and I know to a certain extent that can seem and be cliche, but I looked up her up and she did go to a Baptist university, um, I believe in Texas. And so I would be very surprised to find out that she's not a believer. I am almost certain from this clip and from what I've read that she is, and she just seems to exude the joy of the Lord. And it just makes you feel good to hear that in this politically charged environment in which we live and in the fact where it seems like everything's about um, woke politics and and making sure that you don't do anything to offend. She is just filled with joy and filled with joy to live in America and to represent America. 
And that is what the Olympics is all about. And I was just so moved by that that I had to share that with you and encourage you, as I said, to go watch the video. I always provide the video clips that I use on the show in the blog, so you'll want to make sure to head over to speakingforhim.blogspot.com after you listen so that you can enjoy this goodness because it really is amazing. And so to Tamara and to Sydney, who I mentioned before, I am rooting for you guys. I'm so excited that you have the platform that you do to speak out for the Lord and to just share your joy of be, of being Olympians. And um, I'm just very proud of you and proud to be an American. All right, well, I have a bit of a surprise. My brother Bartholomew and I are going to do a chocolate taste test right here on the podcast for your listening enjoyment. Uh, I'm sad to say this is not a scratch and sniff sniff podcast, so you'll just have to take our word for it that this taste test is fun and delicious. So I'll hand it over to Bartholomew because he knows what we're going to do for this fun test. Yeah, um, I was in the store. I always... I like to buy dark chocolate. Um, dark chocolate is a is a good um, healthy snack um, as long as you don't overdo it. Um, it's got some antioxidants in it, and it is also um, the biggest thing I think um, as far as health goes is that it has less sugar than um, some other chocolate, and it and also I think the biggest thing the other thing too is you can get. Um, kind of a a bigger. Um, I'm trying to think of the word, but you get if you eat a little bit of it, you still feel kind of satisfied. So I think that's one of the things that's really great about dark chocolate. And I was in the store um a couple of weeks ago and noticed they have some new Dove chocolate. Um, that has the darker dark chocolate. They have a seventy percent, and they have an. 82%. So I was wondering how that compares to Giardelli because Giardelli, they have, um, they actually have a 72% and they have an 86% and they have a 92%. So I picked up some chocolate. We discussed doing this and um, I did not buy the 92%, so we don't have to suffer through that. Um, I know Andrew, you're a pretty big, a pretty big dark chocolate fan as well. Are you? Are you not? Yes, seventy two percent dark is my sweet spot. I can go a little darker. Last Christmas, I think it was a friend gave me an eighty five, which was a little bit on the dark side, to quote Star Wars. Um, but I actually did find myself enjoying it, even though I would have liked it to be a little bit lighter than 85. So how are we structuring the taste test? Are we comparing the doves first? Actually, the, the way I thought we would do it is we're going to go from lowest to highest. And so this is the regular dove dark chocolate promise to start with. So this is... The 72 or the... They're the regular. This is... This is the regular, so it's indeterminate exactly how it's much... It's indeterminate how much exactly it has in it. I looked it up. 
I was trying to find definite information about it. There was no definite information. Um, I think it's got to be more than 50%, otherwise, otherwise it's going to called semi-sweet. So, All right, well, the original Dove Promise is going in. So that's a pretty classic dark chocolate taste. I've, I've enjoyed it for years, so I enjoy it again. It's, it's, it's smooth going down. It's very melty. Probably has a pretty good percentage of, of butter fat in it. It's definitely... Or not butter fat, but um, cocoa butter. It's definitely not an M&M. If you do hold it in your hand, it will start melting on you. It was melting uh, even right before I stuck it in my mouth, so... This is Dove 70%. Okay, so this is Dove 70%. So I'm venturing to guess, since the regular is indeterminate, like you said, that it's a little lower than the 70 But here we go. Yeah, see, we didn't do a number scale on these. But this one, I think, is a little bit better than the regular. This This is right around my... My dark chocolate sweet spot, as I said, for dark chocolate candy bars, it's right around 72. Yeah, and it, it kind of has that more cocoa-y taste to it. Nothing real blow you away. Maybe not quite as smooth. Um, these are the, the, the Giardelli. It's coming up with a 72%. This is the one you say is your favorite. And Giardelli also, it's interesting that you have here a full candy bar because I'm used to just getting the single or the package of single Giardelli squares um, when I get my Giardelli chocolate. And so that's and actually they, they had the squares. I decided to get the candy bar because the squares were um, quite a bit more expensive. Individual wrapping, that's what you're paying for with that one. Yeah. So, All right, so this is, you said 70 Seventy-two percent. Seventy-two as well. Okay, here we go with the Giardelli seventy-two. I think I like it better than the Dove. Yeah, the Giardelli um, might be a, at least a step above the Dove. Um, it's hard to Doesn't... say. I would never be able to be a chocolate taste tester for a living because I have a hard time differentiating but i think it is slightly better um so if the dove was like a i think it manages to be a little bit to be still quite smooth even with more chocolate flavor than the original dove so i think i like it better than the the dove 70 percent and it's definitely smooth it definitely goes down well and just that familiar Giardelli square. Keep in mind that the, the percentage is the amount of cacao in it. But the cacao, when I was looking up how they determine how much cacao is in it, it could be um, more or less solids and, and or more cocoa butter. So it's got some of the, this one has more cacao, but it could have more cocoa butter in it. So cacao and cocoa butter are actually two different things. That's so very... cacao is cocoa butter and cocoa salads together. Which when you, you grind the bean, that's the cacao. 
and then you can just they usually separate it and then they bring it back together when they combine it to make chocolate. So there can be just varying degrees of that. Yep. So this is the Dove. Eighty-two percent. So I'm imagining this is going to be very, quite chocolatey, quite cocoa flavor. And see, with with the bar that I was mentioning from Christmas last year, that was at eighty-five. So eighty-two might be a little more palatable than that one was. I'm very interested because Dove is very good in and of itself because it's Dove. So let's see how this goes. That's definitely tasting a little more, I don't know if medicinal is the right word. Maybe savory is the word that comes to mind. It's a little more. Definitely less sweet. It's definitely not. doesn't have the sweetness of the other ones we've tried. That's what I was looking for. Um, but not, not, not terribly overwhelming with the co- chocolate flavor. The cocoa flavor. The, going from the regular Dove to the 70%, I thought was the biggest change in the amount of chocolate flavor. And then this is the um, this is the Ghirardelli 86%, which is probably the one you got for Christmas last year that you're referring to. And, and this, the last one was 80, 82%. 82%, okay. Yeah, the, these last two are definitely on the borderline of why would I want it to be this much cacao. But Yeah, but again, I would say that the, the uh, Ghirardelli, I like better than the Dove. Maybe maybe the, the extra. And Ghirardelli is more expensive um, I think generally, and also the Dove they had on sale for buy one bag get one fifty percent off. So it was, um, I think it was, if you, if you count the fifty percent off, I think the Dove was like fifty seven cents an ounce. I think I figured out in the Giardelli, it's it was three sixty nine for a three point five ounce bar, so almost a dollar an ounce, and that was cheaper than the. Individual ones. So Giardelli is probably worth it if you're looking for something that's a little bit better. But for individual ones, Dove is definitely right on par. Well, uh, what do you think was your favorite piece of chocolate today? I thought the Giardelli 72% which I know you have said before is one of your favorites. That would be my, I think that was my favorite of all of them. I think again, I could never be a professional taste tester because I would have a real hard time differentiating. And we didn't really have a palate cleanser with us, which if we were professional taste testers, we probably would. But I would say that uh, Bartholomew is probably right about the Giardelli 72%, although although the Dove Promise 72% is pretty good as well, 
The thing about the dove, too, though, I think, is that you tend to eat more of them because they're just little bite-sized pieces of chocolate, whereas um, if you have a candy bar, um, if you're anything like me, you kind of try to eat it section by section over time, so you might be more disciplined if you got the candy bar than the dove. But I think both of them are pretty good. I might I might disagree with you a little bit there because I one of the things I like about the individual ones is I can eat like two or three of them and then be like, okay, I'm done at least for a while. Whereas a candy bar for me, and once the candy bar is open, then I eat. Then I want to finish it. I think you make a good point there. Everybody is a little bit different. I I do agree with you from that standpoint that it has been tempting as I was younger to once I once I open a candy bar, why not eat the whole thing? I remember as a kid thinking, well, it's one candy bar. Why don't I just eat it all at once? But the other thing is, I mean, with the with how dark some of these are, though, I, I don't think, I I mean, I wouldn't want to sit down and eat, even with the 72%, I don't think I'd want to sit down and eat in one sitting a whole candy bar just because of the, the strength of the, the chocolate. One thing I would say, even though I mentioned that the the 80-plus candy bars were more along the savory lines, I will say that I kind of felt a pick-me-up in eating them. Mm -hmm. So if you just want to pick-me-up in the middle of the afternoon, I do think that the savory 80-plus cacao bars could be the way to go because you're not going to eat a ton of it because it's not sweet. So it's not drawing you in to be like, I got to eat the whole thing because it's sweet. But I, I did feel a little little energy boost, a little pick-me-up. And so I think from that perspective, the dark chocolate can have its benefits. Yeah, if you're trying to lower your sugar content, definitely. So I, I hope you've enjoyed the return of the whole chef to this episode. Just a little surprise we wanted to tuck in here. If there's anything that you think that we should taste here on the Speaking for Him podcast, let us know when you contact us at the end of the show and we'll be glad to consider it. I love eating. So it's something that I really enjoy. And if I can do it as part of my job, that's even better. All right. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Bartholomew. On our main segment today, as I said, we are going to talk about the myth pervading some aspects of modern Christianity that says people are basically good, or put another way, mankind is basically good. Is that true? Now, as a preface to this discussion, I will say this, that I think that there is a certain level of goodness and kindness that can be found in even the unsaved. Unsaved people are capable of doing kind things for one another. But, does that mean that that is the actual state of a man? Joel Olstein said in the video that I referenced earlier that he believed that 99.9% of people were good people. But what does the Bible actually say about this? Let's first look at our quote of the day. 
Our quote of the day, it comes from Mark 10.18, and it says, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is no one good but one, and that is God. And so this is part of a conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the reality is, as Jesus outlays, that there's nothing the young man can do of himself to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, well, you've heard it said to to keep the law, and he goes through some of the commandments, and the man says, well, all these things have I kept from my youth. But Jesus sensed a pride in this man uh, because of his riches. And so he tells the man to sell everything he has and give to the poor, and then you will have eternal life. Because the thing that was keeping this man from embracing eternal life was his riches. He was dependent upon his riches. And he had pride in that regard. And so Jesus was getting to the heart of the matter. And it's interesting that in this story, the man goes away sorrowing because he had much much riches. And then it says this, and Jesus looking at him loved him. So this is a situation where Jesus loves this guy enough to tell him, hey, you need to get things right with me, and this is how you do it. Uh, because I'm sure that he, from his perspective, he thought, well, I'm a pretty good guy. Maybe there's just one last thing I need to buy or do, or maybe I just need to get in right with this teacher, and then I can have eternal life. And Jesus says, no, you need to get your heart right, and then you can have uh, eternal life. And so I I just think that's a good way to start here because we often say, well, this person's a good man or a good woman. But Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. So this is actually a, a kind of a another situation where we might not think about it this way, but Jesus is basically claiming deity at this point, which the rich young ruler must have had some idea that Jesus was special or he wouldn't have asked him about eternal life. But Jesus makes the point here that no one is good but God alone. So what does that do with the myth that we're talking about today? Man is basically good. It basically shatters it is what it does. And so let's dig into this a little bit more thoroughly. Because it's it's a major issue in the Bible whether man is good. The reality is that we need redemption in order to come to Christ. And so as long as we think we're good enough, we will not be redeemed. And so let's let's dig into a little bit more about what that means. The first point I want to make is the natural heart of man is wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, that really puts it into perspective, right? Because it says that our hearts are wicked. And that seems pretty hopeless, right? Because we don't have anything in ourselves to make us not wicked. As a matter of fact, Romans puts it this way, while we are yet without strength, 
in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We had no strength of goodness in ourselves to become godly. So that kind of wipes any personal goodness off the board because it doesn't say the heart of some man men is wicked. It says the heart of man is wicked. That is the natural state of a man is to have a wicked heart. The second point that I want to bring out is our righteousness is or not enough. And that that comes from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So we like to think, well, if our good outweighs our bad, then we can go to heaven. But let me ask you this. If that is what you are relying on for your salvation, how do you know that your good outweighs your bad? How do you know that you're good enough for heaven? One of the interesting things that Jesus does, especially on the Sermon on the Mount and in general, is he takes things to another level because he brings things from just the outward actions to the inward actions of the heart. He doesn't just say if you commit adultery with a woman, then you're guilty of sin. He says that if you lust in your heart for a woman, you have already committed adultery. He doesn't just say, don't say um, mean things to others. He says, if you say mean things to your brother, you're guilty of murder. So Jesus is all about the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so he's basically saying here in this scripture, anything righteous we do apart from God means nothing. Uh, They're as filthy rags. And so that is really puts more context on the story in our opening quote too, because it talks about this rich young ruler who thought he'd done everything right. It basically is showing, hey, all the good that you've done means nothing apart from Christ. As we move along, we see no man seeks after God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one that understandeth. There is no one that seeketh after God. And that is Romans 3, 10, and 11. And so there are, there are some people that will say, that salvation is totally of free will, and others that say salvation is totally of election, that God chooses. I present to you on this podcast that both of these doctrines are true and that they work in concert with one another. We do have to make a decision to follow Christ, but there are multiple evidences in the Scriptures to talk about we don't have a capacity within ourselves to choose Christ. This is one of them. The Bible doesn't say some men seek after God, or maybe you, the natural man, will seek after God. It says no one seeks after God. Again, that's pretty definitive. Uh, you'll hear me say multiple times in my sermons and here on the podcast that God always speaks in the definitive article. There's no question 
in the things that he says or does, there's no ambiguity because he always speaks definitively. And this is one of those statements. No one seeks after God. Even one sin makes you guilty. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm a pretty good person? Have you ever thought it of yourself? I know I have. But then we read something like this in James 2.10 where it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, first of all, I don't think I'm anywhere near capable of following all the rules all the time except for sinning in one particular way. I'm not capable of that level of greatness. But this scripture says, even if you were, that you would not be good enough. Because if you are guilty of one thing wrong, of doing one thing wrong, you are guilty of everything. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, folks. I have just as much claim to heaven as Paul does. Paul was a murderer. Literally. He consented to the stoning of Stephen. He threw Christians in jail, and yet God redeemed him. Now, I have never murdered anyone. But there have been times in my life when I've hated my brother. So this is another situation where we're even because God puts it into the thoughts and the emotions level, not just the actions level. And so none of us are above anyone else as far as doing good works. The good works that we do accomplish come from our gratitude for God and from His Holy Spirit working in us to give us the ability to do the right thing. Uh, Because the Bible says that before we were converted, we were the slaves of sin. There was no hope for us. But thankfully, God gives us hope through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But even one sin makes us Guilty. And then my final point today is the Savior makes the difference between life and death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We could do a whole podcast or even a whole sermon just based on this verse. Because consider the first part, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what you and I deserve. Ever since the Garden of Eden, physical death has been a reality for the human race. God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? 
Because if they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever on the earth in their imperfect, sinful state. And God said, that is not what needs to happen. That would actually be awful. So he kicked them out of the garden and he put angels in front of it with flaming swords to keep them out. But then he said, I'm going to send redemption through Jesus Christ. So the second part of this verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life. Notice a couple things. First of all, it's a gift. We can't earn it. It's a gift and it's forever. We were made to be eternal beings. We are. We're intrinsically eternal. The question is not whether we will live eternally. The question is whether we will have eternal life in heaven or eternal death in hell. Those are the two choices. So the gift of God is eternal life. And some of us in the broad Christian world, we we believe that the gift of God is eternal life to a certain degree. But what is the means for eternal life? Some people will broaden it up and they'll say, well, I don't know if this person is going to heaven or not. God may have mercy on them and take them to heaven. That's not my purview. But the Bible says that there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. So if someone is going around and they are not professing Jesus to be Lord, they are not guaranteed heaven because Jesus is the only way. So the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the third part. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. If you are trusting in anything else, except for the blood of Christ to get you to heaven, you are going to fail to get there. I do not want you to fail to get there. I want you to be there. Someday I'm going and I'm going to get a new body. I will no longer be sitting in this wheelchair. My corruptible body will put on incorruption. My mortal body will put on immortality and I will praise the Lord for the rest of my life. I've never been a dancer, but I would imagine that on my new limbs, I'll want to dance some. I'll want to run some. I'll just be so excited. And I want you all to be there when I experience the freedom of heaven through Jesus. So in review, as we've talked about this aspect of whether men are basically good or people are basically good, we talked about Jesus and the rich young ruler, how the rich young ruler called him a good teacher, and Jesus challenged him on that and said, why are you calling me good? No one is good but God alone. So he was he was letting the rich young ruler 
know that he was not merely a man, but was in fact God. Because he doesn't correct the rich young ruler and say, well, I'm not good because the only person that's good is God. Instead, he asks him why he asked the question. So he sets up this conversation. And he shares with him that the way to eternal life is to rid himself of the obstacle that's preventing him from trusting Jesus alone. And then we talked about the fact that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That is the general, the unconverted state of every man. It didn't say some men. It didn't say most men. It said the heart of man, meaning all of us. Then we talked about how our righteousness isn't good enough. How our righteousness in our own power is just filthy rags before God. We talked about how no man seeks after God. That to me is very sobering, but you look around the world in which we live, and you can tell that's true. We don't seek after God as a general rule. And then we talk about even one sin makes you guilty. Think about this, that even if you only did one sin a day for 365 days, which is a year, that is still 365 sins. Even if you only did one sin a year for 80 years of your life, that's 80 sins. So that really puts things in perspective because I'm sure most of us, if we were honest, we would say, well, I, I sin multiple times a day. Probably all of us, let's be honest. And so the only way that we have hope is through Jesus Christ. And then, finally, we talked about how the Savior makes the difference between life and death. The only way to have salvation is through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I'm about to wrap up here for the week, but before I do, I have one final example. For those of you who may be listening, who might believe or have been raised to believe in the basic goodness of man, I have an example for you that I think proves that the basic goodness of man does not exist. And that is the toddler. If you've ever spent any time with toddlers, or even other young kids that are a little older, but especially toddlers, you know that you don't have to teach them what word. You don't have to teach them the word no. You may have to teach them the word yes, but you don't have to teach them the word no. And to me, that's one of the most definitive evidences for the fact that the heart of man 
is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. But the joy, the beauty of salvation through Jesus Christ is that, as Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The book of Ezekiel talks about how God wants to take our hearts of stone out of us and put in their place a heart of flesh. Take a, take a heart that is not sensitive to the things of God and put in its place a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. That's what God wants to do for you and for me as we surrender to him and to him alone. I hope this broadcast has been a blessing to you. Again, if you have enjoyed it, please share it with others. That's how we get the word out. I hope you have a wonderful week and that above all, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.